Hello, my name is Christine Gordon. I'm the Events Manager for Readings. Uh, welcome to the Readings Podcast, Stephen Amsterdam. Thank you for having me. Award-winning author Steve Amsterdam was born and raised in New York City. He attended the Bronx High School of Science, the University of Chicago and the University of Melbourne. He has worked as a map editor, a book jacket designer, a pastry chef, before moving to Australia in 2003. His writing has appeared in The Age, in Five Chapters, in Huffington Post, in Mianjin, The Monthly, Overland, Sleepers Almac, and on and on in so many different places. His award-winning novel, Things We Didn't See Coming, was first published in 2009. What the Family Needed was published in 2011. His books have been translated into Dutch, French, Italian and Hebrew. But today we are going to be talking about his new novel, The Easy Way Out. Welcome. Tell me all about The Easy Way Out, Steve Amsterdam, without giving away the ending. <laughs> can you do that? I can tell you the uh, the original pitch. Go on. <laughs> Go on, and then I will let you know whether or not that matches. <laughs> okay, fair enough. The uh, the one one job you left off from that list is a palliative care nurse. Well, I was coming to that. That was like a little trump card that I was going to pull oh, later. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. Well, here it is because it's part of how the book came to be. The uh, I, w- I work as a community nurse in palliative care, and what that means on a daily basis is going to people's homes and when they've got carers, when they've got family around, telling them, you know, sort of gi- giving them education about what they might not know about caring for someone who's, who's termin- in the terminal phase and checking on symptoms, checking, making sure the drugs are doing what they're supposed to do and, and that the pain is under control and so on. And it also means having a lot of serious conversations along the way as to what what the family can expect and what the patient can expect. And in all that, uh, occasionally, someone will say to me, someone said to me the other day, um, I wish there was a way to speed this up. And I wish there was a way, you know, I wish there was just a pill I could take. And part of me goes, part of me thinks quite quickly that this, of course, will be the case before long. That the legal case. This will the, become something that we can Yeah, this this, be sure this, of. this is one of these things that's inevitable. It's sort yeah. of like the gay marriage discussion yeah. going on right now. It's we can talk about that and fap around as long as we like. Yeah. But it's going to happen. This is this is uh TikTok the, though. TikTok, let's speed it all up. <laughs> what do you think? Well, it's it's complicated. And and you know, so part of part of my response to that when someone says that to me is what what's going on? What can we fix? And and also to kind of reflect back to them that they know that it's not legal. It's not part of my job. It's not something I can do. And 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 as much as I approve 
and think that this is something that this will happen that this will happen and that someone should have the right to determine for themselves uh, a comfortable death um at the same time i'm really glad it's not part of my job description so you've created a character evan who has this job description though that he's his role at mm. the hospital at the hospice that he works at is to be the final the final giver of the medicine needed. Mm. And this is why I'm glad I have two jobs so I yeah. can sort of work this out in my other life. And and that's that's exactly where the role came from. And I really just wanted to imagine what would it be what would it take to be that person for whom this is a good job. This is this is a likely job because I think at some point it will be somebody's job description. So I like that. I mean, it, when I was reading your novel, I did think, oh, so perhaps we're talking about in 15, 20 years' time that mm-hmm. that that someone like Evan was, is actually going to be employed. And I was interested that you put up around his character and around his character's job, sort of. Uh, strategies that, that the hospital were t- putting into place to help him cope with the fact that he was going to be the taker of somebody's life. Mm. So I was very interested in that. I mean, it, it doesn't always go well for him, but <laughs> I was interested that you had thought it through. Or I, I spent a lot of time working and, and actually probably 30,000 words that didn't make the yeah. the version. You've, I think you read an earlier version, possibly. <laughs> <laughs> there was a lot more of the details, and there's a lot more of the, the um, administrative bullshit, for lack of a better word, yeah. that would be involved in getting getting to an okay. And it's just, it's it's it would simply be the, the hospital doing all the ass covering imaginable so that they would not be libeled for lawsuit. So there was, a, I mean, I was interested in it and I, that you had sort of had these characters that, that would be in this room saying their final farewells to their loved ones and this character and that the whole occasion was being filmed. And I thought that's actually right. It would have to be like that. It it absolutely very strange sidebar to this whole process for me was was that I was making a lot of this stuff up. I was also doing a fair bit of research, which yeah. it's possible to do in, in you know for the various places where it's legal, where it is legal to see how they manage and how they. And that's something that happens. They they feel there's a the lot of there's a, yeah. yeah. I, I think I'm to my knowledge the the one way glass, the one way mirrors thing was was my. Edition. But towards the end of this process, an old friend of mine, a college roommate actually, who has advanced MS, asked me, uh, she, was, she had a serious exacerbation and she started looking into how to go to Dignitas to die. Yep. And the past year has involved her going through the administrative process of doing just that. And it's been interesting to me to see all the, you know, Dignitas has a little bit of a bad rap for being mercenary. Right. I'm I don't s- know anything about it. Okay. It's in, it's in Zurich. Zurich is the only place where you can, uh, or Switzerland is the only place where you can legally go without being a citizen and, and get assist and have an assisted death. And their administrative hurdles are quite high. You have to really improve the hell out of who you are, improve the hell out of your situation. And when you're there, you have to be in 
looked at by two doctors. So it's and it's the mental sort of capacity, isn't it? That that people understand what yeah. they're going through, that their loved ones around them understand what's yeah. yeah. And the, there's a lot of a lot of talk goes into making sure that that's the right decision. Yeah. And one thing that it interested me a lot in it, when she finally received the letter saying okay, we can start planning your your trip to see us. They said there's a little clause in that letter, which is borne out by by um, uh, s- studies and, and research, that said some people find that just receiving this letter gives them the strength to live the life that they currently have, and so that you don't have to act. On, you know, you're under no obligation, obligation. To, yeah, to act on this right now, which I thought sort of proves that they're they're not in it for the money. That they um, they really just want to give somebody the support and and I did see that with my friend a certain amount of relax just came from the the affirming yes you have the the right to think about this this way yes you have the right to uh, you know humanity loves choices that's what mm. we like and I guess this is what an organisation like this is doing and this is something that you write about in your book isn't it that. Uh, that at, at all times people have a choice on the way that they're going to die, where they're going to die. Mm. And that you have to really, that, that you cannot lead the witness. You cannot, when you're giving them, even when you're handing them the Nembutal, you have to have no inve- investing, investiture? Yeah. No, no, it, <laughs> no investment in the outcome, that they, they do not have to drink it. And that sort of, it's the most neutral Medication giving a nurse would be involved in, and that's why it was sort of a particular challenge for this character. One of the things that I admired very much about your book, uh, not just that you were bringing up a topic like this, which is something that we are reading about daily, really, mm. in, in sort of different papers, but uh, that you also spent a lot of the, the novel talking about the relationship between mothers and sons. Mm. And uh, we don't actually hear so many stories of mothers and sons i don't think really i feel like there's a lot of mothers and daughters out there's there. a lot of mothers and daughters but not mothers and sons so you have a very close relationship with your mum, i know mm-hmm. but this relationship is not that it's not that say. at all it's not that <laughs> is it it's that the son in some ways comes in at as as a caring role but the mother is still wanting to play that role of caring and being interested in her son's life and as uh, Evan's mother gets uh, unwell, the, the relationship starts changing throughout the novel. I thought this was a really beautiful part of your, your book and uh, a lovely discourse. What was what made you think that this was the way to head your, your novel in this direction? Well, I th- when I was thinking about this character and thinking about this role, I just thought if it's just him going through the motions with all these different patients, that would be, that's a TV series, that's not a novel. Yeah. <laughs> that's six feet under. Right. All over again. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, minus the under part. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then I, obviously he has to have something closer that's going to test him. And the, the close relationship with the mother, I mean, to the degree that I'm able to draw on my life is is just the way that they talk, speak with each other. The way the they're very familiar. Yeah, yeah. It's not it it's not a particularly fraught relationship in some some regard that they they, they know each other. They, they they know the size and shape of each other. Yeah, 
I, I like that. I like that uh, actually it just seemed like an, uh, an honest relationship, sort of a mature relationship for want of a better word, uh, as, as the novel sort of opens up and that they have these shared conversations and so clearly they just want the best for one another without it being a control issue. Mm. Which uh, is unusual. Which, we, we, we read about, if we're going to read about mothers and sons, it does seem that there will be some overbearing mother trying to control her son. Hmm. I didn't, th- I didn't really think about that. And sometimes yeah. I think when I'm writing, I try not to think about novels because, as we were talking about earlier, n- novels sort of ruin you. <laughs> uh, when we say ruin... Uh, <laughs> People that shop at readings don't feel that way, I'm sure. <laughs> I think they actually feel inspired by novels. But if you're trying to think of it, you want to think, if you want to be guided in, in creation of a character and a relationship, you want to think of life outside novels. Yeah. And and possibly there there is, now that I say that, there's at the root of this, their relationship in this book is a mother-son relationship from a book I read years ago called The History of Luminous Motion. I don't know this book. Scott Bradfield. It's terrific. It's But the, the boy in the book is much younger. and um, But the mother is has some of her traits. And there's, a, there's some quirkiness. There's some quirkiness, I suppose. And I didn't want it to be too quirky. That's, you know. It's a fine line. Yeah. I don't, these, I've read, James Wood wrote an, a thing about, a long time ago about hysterical realism. Yeah. And I want, <laughs> where there's just too much quirk and too much yeah. activity that it's not, that we've lost something lifelike about it. And I wanted, especially since I was creating this world that's not quite right now, yeah. I wanted it to be as recognizably real as possible. This is one of sense. your superpowers though, isn't it, Steve, to write <laughs> about a world that seems so familiar, but actually is just slanting a little bit to the left. It's just off the axis a little. Uh, that's hard work, I imagine, to keep up with these sort of original ideas in your work. It's very hard work. I think it would be very hard work. <laughs> so what, how do you do it? How, do, what, what, how does a book come into your, into your mind? How does this story... Well, I think, uh, to me, that's, that's, it's a more interesting place to write in. Yeah. That... That I, I, so I it's always, not magical realism, but it's it's kind of in a way. Let's name it. Let's name it. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I was thinking it's sort of a, and without it, it's almost nasty realism. Like you know, it's nasty, like nasty, but in a yeah, nasty, yeah, a little because that's it, not going to take off. That's not going to take off. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking nasty because you. Uh, so okay about showing people's uh, fallibles, you know, that, that 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 people are getting hurt, that people are sad, that there's mm-hmm. people that are feeling frustrated, but they're living in a world where we don't quite know the rules because you've changed everything a little. And so I wanted to say that it was realistic, but you can't say that it's realistic because mm. none of these worlds that you've created are, are real. Yes. No. Well, it's a little bit skewed. Yeah. Skewed isn't that sexy either. <laughs> That's right. It's hard, isn't it? I mean, we because it's, it's not. What could we call it? We're not going to call it nasty. We're not going to call it magical. We would have to call it. Uh, alt. Bolt. Alt. 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 A-L-T. Alternative. Hmm. Yeah, that's exactly um, right. Alt realism. Yeah, let's go with that. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to bring you a new definition to the literary scene with some alt-realism. 
Uh, I, I think so it's how do you get these ideas? Where are, where are they coming from? Well, different places for different different yeah. works, but I, I think it's actually, I'm conscious for, for what the reader's experience is, is going to be, and I, I th- it's much more interesting to read about a, a world that's recognizable, but with rules that you don't quite know. So you're watching, you know, a, a simple inter- interaction between two people. There's more to watch. There's more subtext for, to pay attention to. And I think it ke- I like to think it keeps the reader more engaged, just following along and trying to figure out what, how does this world work? What, how did this, you know, the, although the future, the, the slightly futuristic or, or alt the um, old realism. I the thought. old realism of the book is the the addition of the assisted suicide at the, at the hospital, assisted dying, I should say, and but there are other elements that are again, you know, five years from now, that that come up along the way. That that because I've gotten away with one thing, I can get away with another thing. But so the, you're the reader talking has to, about the relationships that Evan has, not the relationships so much as. Um, some of the microchipping that goes on <laughs> later in the book. Uh, we don't want to give away too much of the plot because there are some treats <laughs> in the novel uh, and perhaps treats that you wouldn't uh, have come across in all mainstream sort of literature because this alt-realism is certainly <laughs> not mainstream. But I feel like it so should be. Some of the relationships that the main character has with different partners seems to me that it should be when he's sort of talking about gay relationships and 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 being in threesomes and but I, I think that should be so everydayish now that that surely were there already where that's yeah. not something yeah, just, that can be remarked on in a way it's, it's just not in books it's that not much. in books yet <laughs> and I but I it did not want it to be a feature did not want no. it, you know I I remember saying to the Okay, it's sort of out there, isn't it now? Well, uh, in in some ways it has to be because you've used it in other interviews too. You okay. did say something about it being about... No, I did not say that. That wasn't an interview. Oh, was that just to me? That <laughs> might have been just to me. <laughs> but but I remember saying to the the uh, my agent at one point, I said, look, look, this is a book that's... the the It's about a sister dying. It's about a, a, well, essentially a suicide assistant. And is it all right if he's also in a sort of not non-traditional gay relationship? Yeah. And she said yes. I think that's right. That's right. I, I, I actually don't want to spend too much time yeah. talking about it because exactly. good on him. Good, good on, on him. him. Good on him, Evan. <laughs> Enjoy that. <laughs> I hope that works out for you. <laughs> but it, but everything that that you know when you're building a novel, and this is why novels are. are to some degree tedious, is that everything sort of has to relate or not relate in a very clear way. The things have to come together. And I was hesitant to, to, because my previous books had been collected stories where you don't have to tie everything up and you don't have to, what? Well, I think that you did tie everything up. Well, I mean, not that there, there are loose loose pieces that you're allowed, you're, you're allowed more loose ends mm. in that format. And in a novel, more things have to come together. And I think because of, because I've been ruined by novels, I I feel you know there's a familiar rhythm to a novel of the, the ups and the downs and the bittersweet endings and the bittersweet there's how a, we there's how a we get here. In a way, is that there's, what you're there's saying? There's a bit of a, a, a template, yeah. and I, that I wanted to avoid, and and I tried to avoid. Oh, I think you did it very successfully. Okay, actually. So tell me about a typical Steve Amsterdam writing day. How does it begin for you? 
<laughs> no, don't answer that. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, he's made quite, <laughs> quite no, a just... fun face and I think we're just going to move on. You don't need to tell me how your day starts. What, what's your writing? <laughs> what to, happens next? <laughs> what happens next? <laughs> um, it just it, the reason I actually smiled is because it it used to be that I would get up and get going on the writing, like, like straight off. So yeah, you, you grab yeah. a coffee and you go straight up to your desk, and there you are. But then you have a dog, <laughs> and then the dog needs walking, and then you talk to neighbors. <laughs> you might go to their house. You might pick up some no, lemons. No, it just, it just become it, 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 all the suburban stuff has to happen, and then so yeah, exercise, and then you then you get started. And even though I've got... By this stage, it's spot two, <laughs> two, three in the afternoon. <laughs> You're worrying about lunch. <laughs> um, not, yeah, not, at the moment, not one of those super disciplined people, but I suppose in the, in the thick of things, I am. Yeah. And possibly, even though I've got the, the spare bedroom is fixed up with an office and a standing desk, etc., I uh, often take my laptop and go to a library or a cafe. Because you feel like that you can be more creative when you're surrounded by sort of noise or just that you need to be out of the domestic scene? Out of the domestic scene, there's just too much. Yeah. It's more distracting than, yeah. than Fitzroy Library. Yeah. I hear this all the time, that people say, actually, they're just going to put on some washing now. They're just going to, you know, start cooking dinner or whatever, and they get distracted. Mm. Yeah. So not a disciplined writer as such, not one of these people that says, on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I write for five hours. Not at the moment, no. No, no. But, but I've certainly had long stretches, certainly in the last year when, when I was finishing the book, because the book, you know, the, the draft was done a year ago, June, and now it is, can I say what month it actually is? Yeah. It's July. Um, so 13 <laughs> months ago, you know, and I just gave the book back. They just pried it out of my hands for the last time a couple of weeks ago. So I've read it too many times. The, the during the times that I've had it, it's been, you know, a, a real nine to five affair. Such a luxury. In some ways. So. Yeah. yeah. What with the, the editing process or the Ah, uh, no, to be able to write from nine to five. Mm. Well, I mean I did I'm fortunate with the, the nursing service that I work with that I work between well, zero and three shifts a week, depending on their schedule and my schedule and it's fantastic. So I try to make the most out of the off days. So let's learn a little bit more about you, Mr. Amsterdam. Uh, why did you move to Australia? Why the big leap across the seas? Whim. Whim. A good whim, obviously. A successful it, it just, whim. Yeah, it, it was, uh, let's try this for a year. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the weather just kept you here? It just... The weather. <laughs> the weather? I don't know. I mean, you've come from snow, snowy New York. Well, I don't well the know. first time I came here, it was the three days in November, and it was beautiful. And I, so the weather did... Did sort of, and I, I was staying with friends at the, uh, I think the what's it called in on the Upper Esplanade, uh, uh, St Kilda. At St Kilda, they yeah. they had an apartment, and you could see the, the the bay from their deck. And I just thought, oh, every day is going to be like this. Well, it is, except <laughs> for the months of <laughs> June, July, and August. But, but I I really came came on a whim because I'd been working in travel publishing. And ended up knowing people in Sydney, in Melbourne, always feeling a little bit drawn to Australia and had the airline points to come for a long visit and stayed for a month and decided to come back. Well, we're so happy to have you here. Uh, do you ever get homesick? No, regularly. Yeah. 
it's it's sort of and i think this is I think this is my next topic in some ways is what is, uh, you know, the, I mean, this is a very privileged kind of immigrant status that I've got that, you know, the, the optional immigrant and the, you know, that's right. I go back on Virgin once, at least once a year. And it's, it's, you know, it's two lives at once. It's, it seems to be working, but it always, there's always moments where it feels like this is hard. And I wonder things- if that's why, why you're so good at alternative realism. Actually, because in some ways... I'm living it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because you have two homes. You have two sort of styles of, of life in a way. You have your New York sort of mm. experiences where each time you go back to the place where you are born and then you come back here where you're living a domestic sort of life mm. as a writer and, a, and as a worker and you're in a relationship and, and here it, it's a different world altogether. It's it it yeah. I feel in that way. I feel confident and blessed in the world that I can have you know families in two places and and feel anchored in two places. And you know, it's you know, I chose all this. This was not foisted on me. So it's it I, to the degree that it feels like a bit of splitting. It's it's my own doing. Well, I think it would be a lifestyle that many, many of us would like to have. So good on you for showing us the way. The New York City part. (laughs) Oh, the New York. Just the the, the two, the the choices. Again, we're talking about choices, I guess, that you have a choice Mm. of which place you want to live. Steve, uh, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you, what, what are you reading now, now that you have finished your novel and you can put it away and you can relax until it's launched at the Melbourne Writers' Festival? Okay. What what do you do next? What Just do you read? Finished and I'm evangelical about the Argonauts by Maggie Nelson. Have you read it? I have not. Tell do you me know about, about it? it. No. Seriously, it's so good. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so she's oh. she's a professor, and I should know this if I'm going to be speaking in a podcast into a microphone about it. She's a professor. I'm pretty sure in English or creative writing in California. And she started this book nine years ago, and it's about her relationship with a person named Harry of who does not like pronouns. Yeah, right. And Harry did not was not born as as Harry per se, and became Harry more so during the relationship. And some point during the relationship, she also the Maggie Nelson uh, got a grant. Uh, from the National Endowment for the Arts, and she used that for IVF, and she had a kid. And the book is really about the evolution of her thinking about the relationship, her thinking about gender, and her thinking about motherhood. And is it reality or This is all reality. Yeah. And But she thinks on a very... I remember one review called her a supple thinker. And she, it's, I know, I love that. <laughs> She's a very supple It thinker. almost sounds sexy, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. And it's, I think it's apt, yeah. the, the sexiness. <laughs> but mm. she, it, the book is, is a lot, is paragraph here, paragraphs broken up with white space. But to give you her, her thinking on where she is and how she got there, and interlaced into these paragraphs is occasionally a, lo- a line in italics, with an attribution on the side that that's from a psychologist, a philosopher, a, a critical theorist, and she she uses. I always had a really hard time with the critical theory in, at uni, and she throws this in so 
effortlessly. So it's really just part of a paragraph where she's thinking something out. So you don't have to so go... So it's almost like footnotes. It's almost like footnotes, but it's almost, it's, it's, it's showing how critical theory has informed her thinking of the world. Mm. And That's an interesting way to write. It's a very interesting way to write. You've never read anything like it. And the... It was it was really quite quite I'd say mind blowing as far as a reading Fantastic. experience and the. Um, Do you read just one book at a time? No, there's a stack. Yeah. Do you have a stack by your bed? Do you want me to stop talking about the Argonauts because well, I could I, go I, on. A, a little. We could talk about what, if if you've got any other books, but also I want to know what you're watching at the moment as well. I'm, we, I'm, we love to hear about TV series. Here. I'm quite. I'm really far behind in Orange Is the New Black, which is <gasps> sad. Well, no, no, that's just a gift waiting for you. It is a gift waiting. That for is me. a gift. Um, I don't have anything. The else. ending is so good. You know, I'm 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 in season three. Oh, you're just so lucky. You've got like 15 hours left. <laughs> of Something just like pure that. joy coming your way. Um, and I think that's all that's on cue. I have to say. So, Steve, as we just uh, finish up now, but uh, I want to ask: well, What are your hopes for a novel like yours? What What do you hope? will happen out there in the wider world. Do you think that a novel, for example, do you think a novel like yours will spark more conversations? Is that one of your hopes for the I, easy way out? I, the thing is, I, I, when I wrote it, I really didn't want to, it's not about dogma. You don't write a novel because you want to convince somebody of something. I really wanted to interrogate the topic and really look at it from from a, a new perspective, because I think there probably there are many books out there that that involve assisted an assisted death on some very personal level. You know, somebody's decision. Yeah. You know, uh, the the dying a memoir. Yeah, that's just out, and she just died. Yeah. Um. And I just wanted to look at it from another perspective. It just just to think about how we as a society are going to take it on, and and what we're going to you know coming to mind is executioners like you know we're we're happy to, you know this is an american but you know there's the where they've got the death penalty nobody really wants to be the ex- executioner and yeah okay now i'm now i'm just free free, free calling, but, uh, but that's wait, very, there's, there's one more there's one more oh, aspect yeah. to this because the victorian parliament just came up with um a sort of discussion of how this might be as recommendations yep. uh for, do you want them to read your book yeah, yeah, I think sure. it's a good idea. <laughs> but the but one thing they have in there is is conscientious objection by practitioners. So it be it's it's sort of like when when abortion came in. I believe it was the same way that that there are certain things that we cannot mandate that we cannot control. And so I mean, I, I suppose on some level, I am thinking about it on an administrative level. But I really do want to think about it on the sort of emotional level. How how will it feel? Steve Amsterdam, I think your book is it's a very interesting book. I think it's a timely book. Hot. It's a hot, a, hot, a hot topic. <laughs> well, it is a hot topic. It's one that I hope uh, many, many of our listeners will read because and, ta- and take to their sort of dinner parties. It is the type of novel that one will be talking about just because of those issues that you raise and that you have so successfully uh depicted a person who's in the role of being the carrier of 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 death in a way i guess mm. and how we deal with that it's a tremendously clever novel 
Uh, it's quite funny at times because you can't help yourself, I think, Steve Amsterdam, mm. that you cannot actually stop being a little bit tongue-in-cheek, a little bit cheeky. It uh, is a novel that catches you by surprise, though, because the emotional turmoil of something like this only starts catching up in the last half of the novel. I think it's very clever. It uh, takes you in, gives you a little shake around, and then, ladies and gentlemen, it spits you out. Uh, (laughs) Is that a good thing? (laughs) I think it's a great thing. It's a great thing, Steve. Congratulations on your novel. I am looking forward to celebrating the launch of this novel, and I'm looking forward to hearing what other people have to say about it. But for now, congratulations, and thank you so much for being part of the Readings Podcast. Terrific. Thank you for having me. 